If you will, uh, open your Bibles with me. We're going to be in Acts chapter 5. And stand with me as we read God's Word. Uh, We honor the Lord's Word by standing in His presence so that we know that this is the authority in our lives, for our our lives and our faith. So Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through the end of the chapter here. Listen and read these words. Then the high priest rose up, he and all who were with him, who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, who were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out and said, go and stand in the the temple and tell the people all about this life. Hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. When the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they convened the the Sanhedrin, the full council of the Israelites, and sent orders to the jail to have them brought. But when the servants got there, they did not find them in the jail. So they returned and reported, "Uh, we found the jail securely locked and the guards standing in front of the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. As the captain of the temple police and the chief priests heard these things, they were baffled about them wondering what would come of this. Someone came back and reported to them, Look, look, look! The men, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple and preaching the, teaching the people! Then the commander went with the servants and brought them in without force because they were afraid the people might stone them. After they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin and the high priest asked, Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than people. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, uh, whom you had murdered, by the way, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to the right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken out for outside for a little while. He said to them, Men of Israel, Be careful about what you're about to do to these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be someone, and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. He also perished, and all his followers were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, Stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan is, or this work is of human origin, (laughs) it will fail. But it is, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. They were persuaded by him. After they called the apostles and had them flogged, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Lord, you are Jesus. You are Messiah. You are God of the heavens. You are the creator God of this universe. Blessed are you, Lord God, the king of the universe, who has given us all things, who has given us your word, who has given us your life, who has given us the way and the truth, who has given us all things that pertain to life. And godliness, and so here this morning, Lord, I, we, I pray that you would pour out your Spirit, that we would be filled to overflowing with your words, with your presence, and with your power to hear and to perceive what you would have to say to us here this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. 
<clears throat> so I used to work at a summer camp called Centrifuge. And I got the, you know, over the years I've gotten to teach different courses and stuff like that. I used to teach paintball and I used to teach, you know, dr percussion, drums and discipleship. <clears throat> but I also got to teach laser tag. That's a laser gun, by the way. That's a laser sniper rifle. It can shoot a thousand feet. Dead center, you know, dead accurate. And this is actually what the, arm, the Australian Army uses to train their military. They've got all sorts of different, like the assault rifle kinds and kind of small spitfires and little, you know, smaller, you know, pistol type size. But this is the way that they teach their military. And <laughs> we used it at a youth summer camp <laughs> outside in the woods. And we, we would do different games, just like in paintball. Anyone everyone ever play paintball? You know, you know, raise, it, raise it up high and proud. These are the hardcore ones, right? You know, Play, you know, play just a regular game, right, where you have the two teams and you try to kill each other. <laughs> Capture the flag. One of my favorites was, was uh, the president, you know, where, where you had one person who was with you, and it's almost like reverse capture the flag. You're trying to get your president to the other team's side without him getting shot. And he didn't have a gun. Your president didn't have a gun. So there you go. You were trying to surround him, and he was trying to make it, make it, make his or her way to the, the other person's headquarters. <clears throat> And at the end of each one, we'd, we would debrief it. Always, we always got a spiritualizer, right? We always have to. But it's, a, it's always a teaching lesson. Everything, honestly, is a, is a lesson. And so I got to teach a lesson. You know, the you know, teamwork and you know, having fun, how to work together, how to accomplish a mission together, and how that pertains to the gospel. And we're the church and we're accomplishing a mission together, right? Trying to get our president, Jesus, into the heart of others, right? <clears throat> Overcoming fear. Even though it doesn't hurt, it's not paintball. Laser tag doesn't hurt at all. It just buzzes your little hat, right? It doesn't hurt at all, but there's still something that's fearful, right? Of getting hit, but you don't really get hit. It's like your lights, the lights on your gun start flashing. And you're like, doo 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 doo. I'm like, oh man. Like it's like a video game. It doesn't hurt, but there's still an element of you're walking around and there are people hunting you. But then there's also another one that I, a little, little game that I actually kind of made up on the spot when I was using my little sniper rifle. I'd be up on top of the hill or, or down at the base of the hill and I'd start to see my own players. I'd start to take them out. And no one could figure out where the shots were coming from. <laughs> it was awesome. These teenage boys going, what in the world? <laughs> it was like hunkered down and like I was the only one who could legitimately see him. He's like, how did I get shot? And then I would reveal to them at the end. I was like, huh, I shot you. Like, what, dude? Seriously? Oh, man. But to teach them the lesson of the difficulty of friendly fire. Wow. And how we do that to one another in the church. Don't be that guy in the church that's shooting your brothers and sisters in the back. Our war is not with each other. No. Did you know that there was a, there's a, there's a, you, know, you heard about D-Day, right? Did you know about there was a practice, there was a, a pra an exercise that all the allies did before the, the actual D-Day itself where hundreds, if not almost a thousand people died because for some reason, the people who were playing the Germans up top got actual ammo. And they plowed down 750 that we know of before they realized what was going on. But it was covered up until just a few years ago. Hundreds of people died. And on D-Day itself... You know, they had the, they had the, you know, if you see Band of Brothers, anyone seen Band of Brothers? On D-Day, they had the little clicker. So if you're, if you're an ally, you would click it once. You know, like a little dog trainer, I think. And then if you were an ally in the bushes, you would click it twice. So that you wouldn't shoot each other. But apparently on D-Day, there was so much confusion, people forgot the signal. So they'd click. And the people in the bushes would attack and kill them. 
And then they'd get, get over there and realize, oh no, these were our friends. Hundreds, thousands of, of our own allies died on D-Day because of us. The hardest oppression to face, especially in war, is friendly fire. Because it brings confusion and, and worry, anger, because there's no reason for it. There's no purpose for the death. It was an accident. You know, there's no other reason except for incompetence, arrogance, or foolishness. And we see this even in the church, that religious mindsets are the cause for some of the greatest tragedies in all of history. Friendly fire in the church. Friendly fire in the community that's supposed to be under the same banner of Yahweh. There are many glories that were never realized because of friendly fire. Religious mindsets that hindered what God could have done. Think about this. If the Sanhedrin accepted the gospel, if the the religious rulers who were in in charge of the temple itself the articles of God, the offering incense before the presence of the Holy of Holies. What if they would have recognized the symbol that, okay, this Jesus that they just killed, you know, died at the same time that the veil that, that separated them from Yahweh's presence was torn from top to bottom, by the way. And they're like, there's something here. We got to believe this. Jesus is God. He, he is who He says He is. He did all the thing, things that He actually said He did. He is who He says He is. He is Yahweh in the flesh. Amen. Praise Yahweh. Blessed are You, O Lord God. Right? What if they had received the Gospel in the temple courts? All the priests received the Gospel. All of the Sanhedrin and the chief priests themselves, Ananias and Caiaphas, were filled with the Holy Spirit. Imagine that. Imagine if they had turned all of Jerusalem and the whole world upside down for the gospel of Jesus Christ, to worship Jesus Christ. And they were singing worship music to Jesus in the temple courts. And all Israel received the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you one thing, AD 70 probably never would have happened. Israel would not have been murdered. Millions and millions of people would not have died. The church may not have even been Romanized in the 4th century. What glories might not be realized today because of religious mindsets? What holds us back? What holds us back from saying, yes, God? This sounds weird, but God's in the business of weird. Amen. God is in the business of weird. Read your Old Testament. It's weird. But God was, but it was miraculous. It was amazing. It was powerful. But it took God's people saying yes, yes, to do weird things. Things that were counter to their mind to what they thought was rational and reasonable. Fear holds us back. Like that song we just said, I won't fall back into fear. I won't fall back. We said it four times. Are we going to fall back into fear? But here's the thing. Fear oftentimes expresses itself in wanting to control the outcomes. Like I tell you, so... Anyone heard about the the Asbury revival that's been happening? Right, right. It's been amazing. I I watched a lot of these these incredible videos on it, and then videos from it. Watched a a girl get get delivered of a demon in the midst of the gathering. She manifested the demon. They brought her out into the aisle, and she's been suffering with this demon for years. They prayed over the over her, and she was delivered in the middle of the aisle at the Asbury revival. At a cessationist, which means they don't believe in the, Holy, the works of the Holy Spirit, the miraculous of the Holy Spirit, in the midst of this cessationist, you know, 
you know, super conservative fundamentalist university, a person is being delivered. People are being healed. The Holy Spirit is pouring himself out. He's saying, God, I'm still here. I still do these things. They didn't go away just because the Bible came. Pouring out of peace. People, that's one of the things that like I heard over and over and over again about the Asbury Revival is that when they walked into that building, there was this overwhelming supernatural presence of God's peace that just washed over them. Washed away the fear. And honestly, that's why I believe it was such a passionate expression of worship. Those weren't just you know, tranquil people worshiping. Those were people who walked into the presence of Mr. Peace, Jesus Christ himself, experienced that alleviation of all fear and went nuts in his presence. They're like, Woo! Jesus! Holy Spirit, let's do this! Let's party! They're giving testimony after testimony after testimony about how good Jesus is, about the power of the gospel. People were coming to faith and being baptized. All until the president and the board of elders tried to put their hand on it to control it. Oh, well, guys, we're, this is a university. We have to get back to university things. Lectures and classes. and Like, so we'll have these services at night and then we're going to put the rest of the church, you know, we're going to shift this revival over to this convention center. As soon as they did that, dead. Gone. God's Holy Spirit was like, you want to try to control it? You want to take, do you want to take the reins? Have at it. That is the mindset that quenches the Holy Spirit and they quench the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what would be going on this week if they hadn't? How many people's lives are still in ruins because they canceled the revival? Because they tried to put their hands on it? Whose lives could have been transformed forever because if they would have just said, Lord, you are in charge of this, you go for it. We're on your timing. And we'll just try to stay back here and make sure that they're in a line to get into your presence. That's all we want is your presence. Because where the presence of the Lord is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So why would we ever try to control God's presence and cap it off? But that's exactly what was happening in Jerusalem with these disciples and the Jewish leaders. They're trying to control it. They're trying to say, we need to control you because we're the authorities. So there. But what was the disciples' response? What what was the apostles' approach to these religious rulers? What was what was their 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 way of of being faithful to the Lord? What did they say? Whether it's right for us to obey you or not, you decide that. That was the end of the end of chapter four, right? The first time, the first time around. But what did they say? We must obey God. You guys, you hear these like religious rulers? Like, we are the voice of God. Who are you, little peons? But when we are, when we are possessed, when we are filled with God's Holy Spirit, when we are filled, we pour out love. Even to these religious rulers, they'd never like curse them. They're like, we must obey God. You know, you decide if that's, you know, in line with what you're talking about or not. We're going to love him. We're going to serve him. But they, they, even in the midst of that, they still poured out love, devotion to these religious rulers. Good. They wanted, they still had faith that they could be saved, that they could be transformed, that they could turn and change their mind and receive the Holy Spirit. For all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That includes the religious and the licentious. Because love leads us to boldly stand and obey God. Love, not arrogance, love leads us to boldly stand 
and obey God. So let's talk a little bit more about these Sadducees. So this, this is a, a house that was actually discovered of a rich and wealthy Sanhedrin leader. The, leader. The, you can see the, the kind of pictures on your, on your handout there. And it's very, very fancy. You can see like the, just the intricate artwork on the floor. That's one of the ways you can see that it was a wealthy person's house because they had de- decor on the floor that they walked on, little murals and stuff like that. So these are the Jewish political leaders at the time. These would kind of be more associated religiously with the kind of Republicans, if you will, the very wealthy political but also religious rulers of the time. They were the ones that communicated and had, had relationship with the Romans because the, the, uh, the Roman uh, fort, you know, if you will, was right there on the north side of the temple grounds that was connected to the temple. And they had a relationship with the Romans um, to, make, to basically keep the Jewish people under wraps. Uh, so they were the main members of the Sanhedrin and in charge of the temple worship itself. Uh, they were, um, they were in, in essence, if you will, the cessationists of their day. They were the ones that only believed in the first five books of the Bible, the, 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 the Pentateuch, the, the Torah. Uh, and they did not believe in the rest of the, the history, history books or the poetic books or the book of Psalms or Proverbs or the, or the prophets. They rejected all of that, all of the miraculous after that. They rejected it. Um, and, but where the Pharisees believed all of it. And so uh, these were the, the, the religious fundamentalists, if you will, of the day. Um, they were very, because of their relationship with Rome, they were very wealthy, super wealthy. Uh, they had the money. So oftentimes that also controlled their ways of thinking. When there's money involved, like we're talking about, you know, corruption, when things get large and you become popular and you have, you know, you, the, and you have control of the wealth, it changes your mind a bit. It distorts your, your ways of thinking, which creates this feeling of jealousy. Now, in the, in the book here, in the Bible here, it says uh, they were filled with, you know, they were filled with jealousy. Um, there in, uh, in verse, verse 17, in, in verse 17 there, that's why they brought them in. We're filled with jealousy. Now that word is only used a couple times in the Bible. And it means it's this religiously motivated uh, rage. A, a zeal motivated by a desire to maintain the purity of the faith or the temple. It's, it's the same word that's used to describe the rage that Jesus had when he cleared the temple. The zeal of the Lord filled him. This is a religious rage, a righteous indignation that may look and appear the same. So there's a difference between righteous indignation, what Jesus had, and a religious rage of jealousy. They look the same but they're dramatically different. Only one actually gives glory to God. And the other quenches the Holy Spirit. These are the same Sanhedrin who did, like, indeed, murdered Jesus. Like, that's really, like, it's so, so funny that they keep saying this. They're like, well, you know, didn't we strictly order you to not teach in this name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and, and you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Like, do you not remember the whole thing that you said, you know, may his blood be upon us and upon our children? Do you forget this? Let me, here, here let me uh, get my little, my little uh, talk back and, uh, and, and play this again. Right. You murdered Jesus. Are you opening ears? Hey, 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 Caiaphas. Hey, Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin. You Killed him. See, you murdered. Am I clear enough? Like they murdered him, they killed him, and they took credit for it. And they're like, "Oh, you're determined to make you know, put this man's blood on us." Yeah, no crap, Sherlock. No duh. Not only did they murder Jesus, but they also bribed the soldiers to lie about it. So they actively did exactly the sin of David. And they still could have repented. This was the whole 
conversation. They did these things. They deserved to die according to His law. And yet they could have received His mercy. They could have received forgiveness of sins. And yet they chose not to. He even said, like, you know, gave false testimony that you know, Jesus hadn't risen, but the, the disciples stole him during the night, as it says in Matthew 28. As I said, this was spread even to this day, which, you know, according to the Bible, was, uh, to history, Matthew was written around you know, 80, 50, or 60. So, yeah, this, that, yeah, that whole story about you know, the disciples stealing his body, right, that could have happened. Yeah, a, the, you know, the soldiers would have been killed if they had let this happen. So they wouldn't be able to give the testimony that he had been stolen away because they'd be dead, killed by the Romans, Roman government. Two, you know, another reason why is the disciples had, you know, you're saying the, these disciples, this ragtag group of peaceful protesters fought off an entire legion of Roman soldiers? Really? You're a special kind of stupid. See, right. <laughs> who would be telling the tale if the soldiers were dead because of, their, of these reasons? Either the disciples killed them or the Roman government killed them for, letting them for letting this body be stolen. Who would be telling the story? Repentance, forgiveness of sins was being offered to these people who were caretakers of the temple that was supposed to be the representative of repentance and forgiveness of sins. They were offering the very thing that these religious rulers were the ones that were the arbiters of. Which is why it was probably so confusing to them. They're like, wait, you're offering... Wait, what? The two very things the temple was supposed to provide. The temple leaders needed the very things they thought that they were stewarding. The president and board of Asbury University needed the revival that they thought that they were stewarding. To speak against the temple was indeed a capital offense. You could be killed for it. You could be stoned to death for it. It's easy to see how the conflict between the kingdom of Israel and the new creation kingdom of heaven rose up so quickly. And then we were introduced to this guy, you know, the Sadducee, this, or actually he's a Pharisee, in the midst of the, of the Sanhedrin, Gamaliel. Now you might remember this name because Paul would later say, would later you know, state, so you know, good old Apostle Paul, um, was taught by this man, by Gamaliel. So in, we'll get to Acts 20, 22 in a few years. But uh, he said, he continued... I am a Jew born in, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, who brought, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strictness of our ancestral law. I was, here's that word, zealous for God, just as you, all of you are today. But the word of their testimony, the word that they gave, that Gamaliel's advice hearkens to, is who is in charge? Who is the source? Who is the author of their message, of their works? Because it's not just the message, it's the works. We'll get to that in a second. But their words, their statement, all these things, didn't we strictly tell you to go? What do they respond? We must obey God. Boldness itself doesn't really feel bold in the time of boldness. Boldness seems common when the answer seems like common sense. It's like, why would I not agree that the sky is blue? It's not yellow. It's, it's not purple. It's blue. It's not green. Maybe in Southern California. But it's, it's blue. Like, what? these tables are white. They're not brown. They're not purple they're, or chartreuse. They're white. And you, it doesn't feel like boldness to say that unless someone has a gun to your head saying, tell, say that these pur- tables are purple. Like, but they're white. But they're white. 
We cannot be caused to fear or be willing to put off faithfully accomplishing the word and work and power God has called us to walk in. Even if, and here's, here's something that, that would be difficult in practicality. Even if and when re- popular religious figures disagree with us, demonize us, seek to ruin our reputations, and even try to silence us because of jealousy, misguided religious zeal. Because these were the popular religious leaders of their day. These were, this, you know, Gamaliel was the teacher among teachers. He was the main teacher of the school of Hillel. You know, Nicodemus was the, was the teacher of Israel. These were popular, belie- popular leaders that everyone looked to for their opinion of everything else. People, that's why they put people like Billy Graham and Rick Warren on, and, and you know, Greg Laurie on the news. Chuck Smith. That's why they put these big figureheads in the limelight. So that everyone else knows what to think and how to believe, and what to believe. If it's if it's if it's cause to submit under the you know the popular opinion setters and the word of God, we have to go with the word of God. No matter what the culture says, no matter what popular religious leaders might say. If God said it, that usurps everything. Amen. If God's word says it, we have to stand on the word on the scripture, on the Bible. When people speak out against and criticize a movement of the Holy Spirit, they're not so much opposing you, they're opposing God. Our response has has to be the same as the apostles. We must obey God rather than you. And I'll say it again. That's what I should have done. That's what we should have done. Had, you know, this is what we should have said to the stay in, ho- in your homes, shelter in place orders that Steve Bullock gave in 2020. We must obey God rather than you. Sue us. Put us under. The glory of God is worth more than our financial stability. Amen. We'll meet in the homes. We'll gather together and break bread together like they did in the early church. It was illegal to be a Christian back then too. It doesn't matter the reason. Or if there are bodies strewn across the streets. We must obey God. And He told us to get together. He told us to gather in His name. So when God moves, and I believe that He's going to move. I believe that He is moving right now. We must move. We must act. We must speak boldly. Even with religious, social, civil, and political disobedience. Well, someone might say, oh, but, you know, if you just didn't speak out as much, if you just didn't, you know, try to poke the bear, you would just have, it would be peaceful. But if God says it, do it. I mean, Scripture says, you know, to submit to the authorities so that we may live quiet and peaceful lives. But that doesn't mean disobeying our command to go and spread the gospel. And to our more com- our, our higher command is to gather together, to gather in His name, to worship Him, to preach the gospel. Those are the things that are worth ruffling feathers for. Those are the things to fight, suffer, be imprisoned, and die for. But first, here's the thing: we must hear God. I know these things seem, kind of seem out of order. But like as Gamaliel said, if this plan or work is of human origin, it will fail. So first, we must fight for God's desires, not ours. Not our political agenda, not our opinions about how life and structure in the economy should be. 
We should, you know, here we must fight for God's ideas, not ours. Whose plans and kingdom endured? Let's just have a little competition with this passage here. We got two kingdoms fighting each other, right? Arm, arm wrestling each other. Jackson's in this weird mood. He's like, who would win, dad? You or Isaac? Like, who would win, dad? You or, you or mommy? <laughs> mommy. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're in a divine match here in this passage and they don't even know it okay. whose kingdom endured the church or Israel which one has endured over the last 2,000 years the church Israel might be an economy and a politic again but they still have no temple they don't have Yahweh's presence with them and they never will. They still don't have God's presence in a building because there's no building. The plans of man indeed failed. The church has endured and is, and is flourishing. No matter the brokenness and the organizations left and right and all and backwards and forwards, right? The church will always flourish. The church the people of God, the capital C church. Little C churches may fail. Big C church will never fail. But as he said, if this plan or work is of God, then he will not be able to overthrow them. You may be even found fighting against God. So that's why I reverse things. We first must obey God. Because when we have a posture of obedience, then when we hear, we're already position to go versus a a waiting and then like i don't know was that god i don't know if that's you or not Uh, i'm not going to do anything but if we have a posture lord whatever you say i'm going to do i will obey i'm i'm in in a posture of obedience i'm spending time with you i'm loving your church i'm breaking bread with each other i'm you know having you know devoting myself to fellowship prayer i'm ready god what's what's what are your charging orders not are you giving me orders and direction, what are they? Because I know and believe that you are. What are they that I can go and do? It's a posture of obedience. Because then, when we do hear from the God, then we will act. Hence the name of this book. It's not the theology of the apostles. This is the acts of the apostles. Posture and obedience and a willingness to hear, listen, and do. As James even says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of a person he was. Forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom, that's grace, it's mercy, and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. Now, that's not the law of Moses. That's the law of freedom. That's the gospel. If anyone here is, is what do you say, looks intently into, I would even just replace that, with into the gospel and perseveres in lurking and perceiving into the gospel. He's not, and not a forgetful hearer, but a doer doing the gospel, this person will be blessed in what he does. And that's where we get this wonderful verse that they were counted worthy. Thank you, God. He said in verse 41, then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. As I said, they were flogged. Now for the Hebrew people, this was with sticks, and they were beaten 40 minus 1. Because if you were beaten more than 40 times, the person who did the beating of a Jewish citizen would be killed. So you could only flog a Jewish person up to 40 times. So they always had that little security. In case we miss one, we're not going to do the exact 40. We're going to do 40 minus 1 in case we forgot one. So we wouldn't have suffered God's punishment. This I just want a little. This is a little aside. This, put, this is one, this one's for free. 
The Romans didn't have this way of thinking when they when it came to flogging Jesus. They didn't flog him, they scourged him. What scourge? So scourge was the cat of nine tails with all the stuff that we talked about during his during the Gospel right, of Luke. Okay. They scourged the snot out of him. Right. And most, like I said, most often people would have died from a Roman scourging. Right. Because it literally tenderized the meat on your on your body and then ripped it off. And then he had to cr- carry his cross with torn muscles all over his body. But this is not that. This is a flogging. This is a traditional Jewish flogging. Still hurt. <laughs> Can you imagine being beaten with sticks 40 times minus one? So 39 times. Back, legs, face, neck, torso, everywhere. And they were like, Woohoo! Thank you, Jesus! We praise you, our Lord, for our... You know. They didn't care that they were in physical pain. we got to worship God. we got to praise His name. Because we were counted worthy. Because what? Jesus warned them about it. Jesus already let them know and said, Hey guys, heads up. There's going to be some tough times. Don't be surprised when they hate you. When they bring you before the what? Oh, the Sanhedrin. For the rulers in the synagogues. When they beat you for in my name. This was one of those moments that he said, don't worry about what you're going to speak. These guys didn't worry about what they were going to speak. God put these words in his mouth, in their mouth like he said he would. And what were the words that the Holy Spirit put into their mouth? We must obey God. They did not stop teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Everyone loves a good idea, like we talked about last week. Everyone loves, these are inspiring things to look at the Bible and see people like this and be like, yes, this is inspiring. This is amazing. We're all inspired by it until it costs us something. And at times, costs us greatly. This is why I say to follow Jesus, to follow Christ will cost you everything. But it will, but it will give you everything. Christianity is not a spectator sport. One of my favorite quotes is by Theodore Roosevelt. He said, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again. There is no effort without an, without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds. He who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither knew victory nor defeat. We must stand. We must stand. As N.T. Wright said, wordless symbols, however, however powerful, remain open to a variety of explanations. People often will say, you know, we'll preach the gospel at all times. And if necessary, use words. <laughs> right? And we've, we've heard, I've heard that quoted very well. Preach the gospel about always, and if necessary, use words. Well, that's like saying, feed the homeless, and if necessary, use food. Because <laughs> <laughs> from the beginning... From the beginning, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven has always been something that both demands mighty works accompanied by explanation. That's why you don't just go out and give money to a homeless bum. If you're going to do it, do it. It's great. Wonderful. And say, I bless you in Jesus' name. Explain why you're doing it. And then it may be actually a blessing to them. 
we walk in faith that is miraculous. That even if we were, we were bound, as, gospel, as, as Paul says, the gospel is never bound. Even if we're killed, the gates of hell will never prevail against the gospel. It cannot kill the church. You might die. This church might be leveled in a, in a bomb or whatever. But we will never go away. The church of Jesus Christ is here to stay. Other people are like, oh, the church seems to be waning. It might go out within our, our generation. Ooh. Nope. That ain't happening. It's been around for 2,000 years and it's stronger than ever. Now, the center of it might shift. Right now, the economists are seeing, the, the, or theologians and scholars are seeing the, the center of our Christian faith shifting to either Africa or, or, or uh, Central Asia. And where they're sending us missionaries. There are African churches sending missionaries to America. Wrap your mind around that. America, this great Christian nation, is being evangelized by our African brothers and sisters. Amen. Which I'm like, woohoo! But I love that there are no closed doors in the kingdom of heaven. Nothing will stop the speaking and proclaiming of the word of life. We will never know where the defense of our faith will come from. But our job is simply to be faithful when oppression comes. To obey God rather than human authorities. We will probably suffer. We will suffer for our faith in our lifetime. Whether it's violence or whether it's sneering, mockery, or fact-checking on our Facebook feed, or even warnings and deplatforming, government letters, lawsuits, but by the slander in the community, but by the word of God, by the faithfulness and the, and the, and the presence of God among us, we will endure. Because we are His children. We are the beloved of God. And we fight not against the government. We don't fight against Biden and, and Pelosi and the Senate and the House of Representatives. We don't fight against, you know, the, against Helena and, and the Senate legislature there. We don't fight against the city of Belgrade and the city council and school board. We don't fight against these governmental authorities. He said this in Ephesians. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord. And by his vast strength, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, governmental systems, right? but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens who use human authorities oftentimes to do their will. But we understand that we don't fight them, we fight the power beneath them. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled for readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith which you can which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Because love leads us to boldly stand and obey God. God is that good. In this life, you will have trouble. But Jesus said, take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome that trouble. Lean into me no matter what comes. 
I am with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you always until the very end of the age. Keep going. Don't lose heart. Put on the full armor daily. Even if you have to like sit there and like, all right, we're going to bring you the chest plate, sandals, you know, belt, help, helmet. Still sharp. Yep. Even if you have to like physically kind of mimic putting it on like I know some people do, it might be helpful to remind yourself what is the armor you're putting on every day because we need it every day. The gospel of peace and love. And that word love, remember, isn't like a warm, fuzzy affection. It's a devotion. The word chesed and agape mean the steadfast devotion, the steadfast, loyal love, faithfulness of God. That is what leads us to boldly stand and obey God. God, we pray for your strength and your courage, for your love to fill us, fill us, Lord, to overflowing with your Holy Spirit daily so that we may be ready to pour out your love to a needing world, pour out your love and your affection to do the mighty works of the Holy Spirit around us and amongst us. Pour out yourself, Lord, in our midst that we may know and love you, God. And so that people in, in this world, in this life, would know and love you, God. Help us, God. Strengthen us. Equip us to take the gospel of truth, the this way, this truth, this life, into the world around us. And to encourage and strengthen one another and build up your church in love. First in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.